something outside. What is that? childhood um seeing the legend of boggy creek with my father when i was five something or six something years old and the opening scene was a little boy running through the fields with the creature screaming so that just kind of hooked me right there and then i got older and kind of forgot about it and uh many many years later i i i was a, a very well-established uh investigator uh doing retail investigation for years. Uh, it was about 1998, and I picked up a book, uh, Monsters of the Northwoods, which actually spoke about Bigfoot sightings that were actually within an hour and a half of where I lived. So I figured that this was going to be, I bet you if I really dig into it, it's going to be a bunch of baloney. And boy, was I surprised it turned out to be just the opposite. So here I am, uh, give or take 20 years later and uh, still at it and uh, just never, never ceases to amaze me at some of the things that, that, you know, talking to the real world witnesses that, you know, don't look for, uh, the only thing they want is, is validation. 
and that's the uh, you know that's the, the particular group of witnesses I love talking to. Not the ones who want to be on TV or the ones who want to mm-hmm. who have agendas, but the ones who you know want validation. And uh, it, it just never ceases to amaze me. And what really was the turning point was in 2003. I had talked to this uh, former Marine who was a, in Vietnam, and he was a truck driver. And uh, so he's a manly man, and he lived up in the in this rural part of Rensselaer County for New York for the better part of, you know, 15 years. And he had actually had an experience. And as he's telling, recounting the experience, you know, the hair is standing on, on the end, you know, hair is standing on end on his arm, and his jugular veins are distended. And I have, uh, you know, a vast background in forensic interviewing. And, um, you know, that, that, that to me said he saw something he truly believed. And that was kind of the turning point right there when it hits you so, so hard in the face there that this guy, what he saw, he was not kidding. He was not lying. He was telling, you know, you just can't fake that type of reaction. Something shook him. And, uh, that was kind of the turning point for me. And, um, so here we are. (laughs) Yeah. I'd I'd say so. Now do you, um, you, take actual um, reports from people and do you go out to where, do you meet them out to where they had the encounter sometimes and they just kind of show you what happened or, I mean, do you, how do you take your reports? Well, it usually starts with an internet report and then I get a, a, I have a definite process when it comes to this and it's kind of served me very well over the years and, and, uh, you know, for any, any researcher, uh, they really should develop their own process for uh, vetting reports, making sure that if you get to the, the final point where you're actually going out into the field, that it's passed all the litmus tests. And, uh, you know, the first thing would be to take a, a, a written report. Usually that's how they come in. Um, then I would call the person, and then I would have them uh, – I would talk to them, and I would actually – I asked them to record the interview, and I'll record the interview, and then I'll meet them face-to-face, and I'll record the interview again, and the written report and the two recorded interviews should all match up, and if everything really seems to be within norms, then you move on to any field investigation, if needed. Um, Obviously, if somebody's driving down the road and they see one of these, one of the boogers crossing the road, you know, you're not going to spend a lot of time there unless you're looking for for trace evidence or some kind of validation. Uh, other than that, okay, I've looked around. What are the odds of it going to be crossing the road at the very same time again? It's going to be very slim. Right. So, so well, what we try to do is you add that. Yeah. Go ahead. Have you taken uh, any reports and did any investigations on, say, somebody's private property where they believe they've had some of them living or, you know, in a particular area where there's uh, oh, sure, activity sure. that continues on? Sure. Uh, not necessarily where they may live, um, because I, I, I truly believe that these creatures won't make a territory. And I'm, I'm very, uh, if people understand uh, my background, I'm very, very, ter- I use a lot of terminology that relates to primate behavior, because uh, the word habituation is not really a true word. It doesn't exist in primate habitation. Um, so I, I don't understand the habituation where somebody would have them on, on their property, per se, because their, their behaviors would be much different if it was actually their territory or where they live. But uh, have I been on private property? Yes, where uh, there's been a lot of activity. Uh, did we have anything go on uh, a couple of those nights? No. Uh, was it possible that, you know, they've had the activity? Absolutely. And we've done that in several occasions and several different locations. And uh, it never seems to really fetter out. Once in a while, we may get something weird. But uh, a lot of the stuff, and, and it's kind of funny because uh, I got in this conversation with another person uh, last week, and they were like, they actually said to me, well, Steve, you don't really, you know, put out a lot of evidence. And that's very simple for the very simple reason is I don't try to put out junk evidence. I'm not going to put out every little grunt groan, tree twist, what I may or may not think is a nest or a habitat or uh, an area where they may have slept. I'm not going to put that out there because it's all, it's all inconclusive. It's, it's all evidence that could be, 
maybe. I may talk amongst it with my other researchers. I may share it with my own group that we keep it together, uh, you know, keep it to ourselves together rather. Uh, but it's not something necessarily for public con consumption because it's conjecture. What I try to do is what I, the evidence that I put out is stuff that, you know, I've looked at left, right, up, down, you know, underneath, over, and can't explain it. And there's no, you know, possible human explanation for it, or except maybe a very slim, slim margin. And then that, that I'll put out there. So that, that comes very few and far between. So that's why I, I try not to, uh, you know, I, I'm not in this to say, hey, look at me. I'm in this there to, uh, I'm in this to tell the truth, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Simple as that. So you have a, a vetting process, basically. I mean, there's some folks yeah. that run, you know, who, whose whole uh, motivation for for Bigfooting is to go online and, and point, you know, to this is Bigfoot, that's Bigfoot. Um, and obviously that's one of the reasons that uh, I respect your what the research that you put out there is because it's been highly vetted. I mean, it's it's not... The, you, you didn't go to the woods, come back and share whatever you know shadows and stuff that you may have seen, or and and there is there's a lot of weird. We, you can have a lot of weird stuff happen, but uh, doesn't doesn't mean that that it's Bigfoot. We like to use the term it, Bigfoot last. Yep, mm -hmm. and, and exactly right. I mean there there are you know several people that I see that are you know going Facebook living every day saying, oh, yeah, we got this evidence, and that Squatch did that, and that Squatch did that, and that Squatch did that. Well, if they're having so much activity, why can't they bring home a, a, a piece of evidence like like Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin, you know, or, right. or you know, Frank from up in Vermont? Uh, and, and, yes, these are debatable items, but the items they're bringing back are, aren't even really debatable. They're they're Wob squatches. There, there are, um, um, you know, tree structures. There are, you know, oh, something took the watermelon off the log. Well, yes, I mean, there's a lot of other animals in the forest that can take uh, a piece of fruit off a log. So, or the or the Snickers bar or whatever. Um, you know, without any you know evidence to to really corroborate that, and then we go back to the argument. Well, I don't put a trail camera up because they can sense them. Okay, here we go. <laughs> you know, so. Right. And we know, have so no we, we evidence we, that right. cannot sense or, you know what I mean? And, and I I totally understand what you're saying about, um, it seems like some people record themselves just wandering around the woods talking for 45 minutes at yeah. a time. Like three times, three day, three times a week, and just play it. And I don't know who watches that stuff. I mean, I I could watch no. two minutes of it, and I'm done. I'm bored. So I, I don't know no. what the point is of all that. I, uh, you know what it is. It's it, it's their way of internet fame, I suppose. I I don't know. I I mean, I I, I have to call it for what it is, and and when somebody. It's constantly on, you know, it's either one or two things. And they're really trying and they're just naive about it and they, they want to show people that they're doing stuff. Or two, they're, they're, they're trying to, you know, gather a following uh, based on, you know, really nothing, <laughs> which, which is very aggravating at times. And, 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 you know, if I sound a little aggravated, uh, I have been over the years. I, you know, Facebook has been... Uh, it's been a godsend in some cases and it's been a curse in others. And when groups of people that think a Sasquatch can, you know, shape, you know, shape shift into or vibrate into something else, we've, you know, and they're starting to get a big following because of Facebook, then, uh, you know, that, that's where it gets very frustrating because, um, you know, there are a few old-timers over the years that have switched their opinion on those things, and I look at it as a, a, a frustration that they are so frustrated that they can't, you know, get the evidence by conventional means that it has to be unconventional, and that's that's the way their mind rationalizes problems, and I, I, I dare say that we aren't doing enough, and, you know, it, it takes years to to 
you know, develop processes and methods to get faster results. Right. So if it was uh, that easy, we would have already discovered this creature scientifically, and you know what I mean? It wouldn't be something that folks have to continue to strive to, to try to clarify what this is. Um, let right. me ask and you this. When, yeah. uh, no, go ahead. No, no, I, no, I, I was just gonna, just gonna uh, follow up on that. That you know, for it, it took a lot of years to, do, to to discover a lot of animals. I mean, the giant squid was, you know, for years they they said it didn't exist, and they only they only discovered that within the last you know, fifteen years or so. So, right. Yeah, one time we were, we were in the Billy um, Yeah, and, one, exactly. So let me ask you this, Steve. What is the, if you had to to say, which report that you personally have been associated with that was um, just the craziest thing you've ever heard? Craziest in terms of uh, 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 garbage or craziest as in terms no, of like, I believe un- it's real? Like and- unbelievable, like it happened, but it was unbelievable. Um, let me see. There was a report in Whitehall which was completely amazing, and it was just, you know, and it was actually featured on one of my monster quests that there was this group of girls, and they were all up partying on a hill in Whitehall, New York, and there was a group of people, young people up there, and they were in their late teens, early 20s, and, uh, the the three girls were going to go back down to their car, so they were going off this the, this little hill. They they had little parties on, and as they went down the hill, there was a tall eight foot nine foot dark silhouetted object standing in the middle of the trail, and they stopped and they looked at it and they were like hello, and it grunted back at them, and it was just like a. Ugh. And they turned around and they ran back to where the party was. And they were explaining to uh, a couple of guys. And one in particular had just came back from Iraq. He was 22 years old. And uh, he, was, he was serving over there in, in the Army. Um, so they decided to escort the young ladies back down their car and check it out. Because they were very well aware of the stories of Sasquatch in, in the area. And as they go down, down the, the hill... Uh, they noticed at the very bottom of the trail, something had toppled the tree over the trail. Uh, not a very large tree, probably maybe, uh, I want to say about seven inches in diameter, eight inches in diameter, and something had pulled it down over the trail. So they moved the, 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 the tree aside. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't a heavy tree. It was, um, and they kind of pushed it off to the side, and they, they proceeded, got the girls to the car. And the two gentlemen said, you know, let's go back up there and, and check things out. So as they go back up the hill, um, the the vet stopped, and he's like, because he caught something out of his peripheral vision, and he says, over my shoulder, do you see that squatting over there? And literally, he said that it was five foot tall squatting down. As it was squatting, it was five foot tall. And it was behind a shrub off to the side of the trail now. So they saw it, and they beelined out. Now, fast forward about, oh, maybe about four or five days later, and I was on scene along with my, my, my mentor, Bill Brand, and uh, we, uh, this goes back to 2006. So we had uh, started looking around, and we had found the whole line of tree breaks where it had been squatted down. And I tracked the tree breaks at the, about the 5'10 level, 5'9 level, which if you're walking in the woods and you're seven, eight foot tall, that's about where you would be pushing the limbs. And I followed that all the way down, back around the trail, down to the road. And, of course, at the road, you lose it. So I actually tracked these tree breaks right down to the road. So something large was squatted where they had set or was there and had – so there was some very good, you know, circumstantial evidence to, and of course I saw the tree too that had been pushed aside that was left in the middle of the road, and we actually, we actually had the the, the vet reconstruct it and put it back where it was, but the funny thing was, is the vet did not want to go back up that hill again. 
Oh, wow. And when he was sitting in that truck, I had actually watched him, in it, and his eyes were just glazed over. Uh, he had he had the 100-yard stare going while he was huh. there. He was not too happy to be there. So very interesting because you have five people, two sightings, all within 20 minutes of one another um, in, in the same geographic area, and, and, two, and they saw two separate things, which is that, that's probably the, the wildest thing, I think. Um, there's been reports in the area, too. Uh, there's a farm. There used to be a farm owned by the Gaelic family out in uh, the very tip of uh, Vermont on the, on, the, on the border with Whitehall, New York, just across the, uh, the, the Pulteney River and the, uh, the, the, uh, the canal channelways. And they, in the 60s, had one of these creatures up on their porch, and they said it actually tried their doorknob. You know, they could hear it, you know, rattling a door or something. So they actually heard it walking around. And that area has been a boon. In fact, in 2013, I did get a thermal image of a single upright solitary object walking along the shoreline in complete darkness and complete silence, uh, 9.30 at night on a fall night with a 40-foot crevice uh, behind to its back, back end. So nobody would have been down there operating without a light at that time. It was pitch black. But we, because we had a, a flare on it, we actually caught it walking along the shoreline and then into the wooded, wooded area around that area. Went back that the next morning. Actually took me 40 minutes to get down that uh, crevice. And, of course, because it was on the shoreline, the boats come through and it washed away any, any potential track evidence at that point in time. But it would, it would have been just too dangerous to make it down that at nighttime, even with lights. Uh, for myself, I wouldn't risk any of my team or myself to do that at that point. I'd wait to daytime. So yeah, there's been some really wild, wild stories that have um, happened. I think that just really captivate me. Mhm. I I really enjoy hearing the encounter stories and the eyewitness um, events. And something you just said really struck me. Whatever it was was trying to turn the doorknob. Now, that shows intelligence. It's not just oh. rattling things because it's rattling things. If it was trying to open the door, that's pretty scary. Well, it's it's, it's pretty amazing, I mean, when you, when you think about it. You know, animals aren't stupid. And as a matter of fact, it was, it was kind of it was kind of really funny because I had mentioned this to uh, my 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 fiance the other day is that, you know, you want to know how smart animals can be. And I mean, Sasquatch has got, you know, like I said, I'm a firm believer Sasquatch is a primate because what else would it be? I mean, it's got, it's got a large brain, articulate hands and feet, you know, small snout, you know, so it, 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 in a large brain. So that, that means, you know, by definition, it's a primate. Um, And primates are known to be very, very smart. Uh, They have culture, they have, you know, uh, abstract thinking where they can solve problems without actually physically being on the scene of a problem. Um, but just the other day, it, it was it's funny as heck because I have two cats and my dog, and the, the, the oldest cat really, the dog really agitates her. So I watched her walk into the bathroom. She pushes the bathroom door open, and she closes it behind her to keep the dog out. It was the funniest thing I ever saw. I'm like, oh, my God, she just closed the door on him. Um, so, I mean, the animals can figure out problems. And, and, you know, we've seen, you know, cats and dogs and figure out what a doorknob, how a doorknob works. I mean, it, it, it would make no, it, especially having an articulate hand. I mean, a chimpanzee, a gorilla, an orangutan, uh, you know, even even uh, old little monkeys, I, I don't think would have a problem figuring out how to turn the doorknob and open it. So it does not surprise me hearing a Sasquatch doing that. Yeah, one of the aspects that that is you know is questionable. We don't obviously we we know a lot less about these animals than than we have answers to, and of course, what how smart are they? But they're obviously intelligent enough to evade human detection for the the large part. For you know, in sometimes in close proximity. Um, for up till now, where we haven't been able to prove their existence conclusively. Right. Well, 
you know, a lot of people say that, that we don't know anything about these creatures, but in actuality, we do, and, and, and people don't understand that, that there's a lot known about primates in general. And uh, to understand what a Sasquatch, how a Sasquatch may act, how they may habitate, all you have to do is understand how primates do it. And although each species has a different, different way of living or a different modality of living, the general terms of how they live and, and how they travel and how they act within a course of day or how they behave is all very similar. So when, when people say that we know nothing about these things, um, yeah, if these were portal jumping uh, aliens that, that, you know, shapeshift and transform, I would say absolutely, but they're not. So I know that, that there is some things. And the funny thing is, is that a lot of what you hear in sighting reports validates the primate behavior modality. Um, you know, for example, primates are naturally curious. Well, how many times do we hear stories of at the edge of a campfire, at the edge of the forest around the campfire, they're seen observing the camp, you know, the campsite with the campers sitting around the fire? Or how many times have we heard the mother or children playing in the backyard while the mother's putting the clothes out in the clothesline? And they, they look and there's a creature standing on the edge of the forest watching us. Um, you know, how do we... Uh, you know, all of a sudden there's noises and all of a sudden uh, these creatures show up. And and the reason why is curiosity. Primates are naturally curious. When something goes boom, we go and we check it out and see what it is. Uh, while the four-legged animals run the other way because they don't, you know, they, they think something bad's happening. Well, we have, huh. um, then we have, um, you know, uh, the different types of reports. You know, there's a reason why, you know, they, they turn around and walk away, you know, in, in, a, in a, the vast majority of their sightings. And that's because it's probably a home range area that they're in and that you would, if, if we turn that home range into like a human thing, uh, that would be where we go in the course of the day. If we're walking down the street, we pass somebody by or even a dog by, we don't pay them no mind. You know, if we see a strange dog on the street, we may turn and walk away. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? But if we're in their territory, that's where the aggressive stops ha stuff starts to happen, where you get the bluff charges, the, the aggressive rock throwing, the screams, the escorts. And if you think about it, if, somebody, if a strange animal walks into your house, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to be very aggressive right. and you're going to go after that. So... It makes sense. And then finally, in, in, in the, the primate uh, living area, we have the, um, the, the focus, what they call foci of activity areas. And they would represent, in human terms, schools, malls, uh, shopping centers, you know, wherever somebody would go. And the behavior is dependent upon what the activity is. For example, you go to the mall, okay, big deal, you know, you're going to pass people by, you're going to pizza. So you're not going to think it's going to be the same as your home range. But unfortunately, but if you go into a school and you don't belong there, what's going to end up happening? There's going to be a very different reaction. You know, so right. uh, you know, the, foci, the foci areas are going to be very different. And if you look at Bigfoot sighting reports and you keep those three modalities in mind, you see that time after time after time, which to me means that when people say, oh, uh, you know, it's a habituation, no, it's not an habituation. By saying habituation, I, I would believe they're trying to say, well, they live there. No, if they live there, their behavior would be completely different. And, you know, they may, you know, don't hand me that mamby pamby, oh, well, there are a lot of forest friends stuff. No, 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 no. Let's, let's, stick, to, let's stick to science fact, not science fiction. And, right. Bam. You know, and that's and why solve you know, so a if you keep, mystery with another yeah. mystery, right? Um, what I want to yeah, definitely get into Steve tonight. Is I saw on your page some really good news lately, and that is you are reemerging your show, the Squatch Detective Radio, and that's in March, correct? That is correct, and uh, I believe we're going to be launching March fourth. Okay. Um, we already have a, 
We already have a couple of guests lined up. I'll be making the official announcements very shortly. Um, but we have a, a couple of guests lined up. We actually have uh, yet another guest that I'm in, in contact with. But we're going to keep it fun. We're going to keep it real. And that's and that's the, the biggest thing that I always like is to keep it real. Um, there are times we do have a little fun. We have some people on. I remember many years ago we had uh, – yeah, that's right, Shadow, the Pookie and Chip Polka Hour. <laughs> um, but uh, we had Eric Betchard uh, on many, many years ago when he was alive. And uh, there was a very interesting cat that would believe uh, – we kind of believe a lot of stuff. And I remember him saying on the show – Yes, there was actually even a report of a Bigfoot in blue jeans wearing a tattered shirt on the side of the road. And I turned around to him and I said, yeah, Eric, that, that wasn't a Bigfoot. That was a hitchhiker. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know. Um, it was probably the most entertaining hour I've ever done on radio because it was just like, um, you know. I remember somebody says, uh, somebody had called in and asked a question. Um, I... He goes, uh, if uh, if you said you saw a Bigfoot, um, can you tell me if you talked to the Bigfoot and what did he say? And I was like, oh, boy. Uh, well, I – and then all of a sudden everybody goes, well, well I can answer that. <laughs> I really fell off my chair. I, um, go ahead by all means. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, but, that, that was now a lot of fun. Your guest host is going to be um, – Chris Bennett, right? Oh, my co-host, yes. He's been my co-host since 2009. So, And uh, he's affectionately known to some as Chip because somebody uh, accidentally called him the wrong name one day and called the, thought mm. his name was Chip Bennett, not Chris Bennett. And uh, it was just kind of funny. Somebody had started the Pookie thing. So it's kind of a little funny joke, the Pookie and Chip Hour, or as the Shadow likes to call it now, the Pookie and Chip Polka Hour, which uh, <laughs> we're going to do the Bigfoot karaoke. So, uh, so yeah, now, we, have a, we have a lot of Is that going to be on on your show? Which which date are you? We're going to be at Sunday night, uh, su- Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. So we're going to be uh, okay. a little bit after you guys. And we're going to be on Blog Talk Radio, and it's going to be uh, – yeah, uh, Blog Talk Radio forward slash uh, dot com forward slash the uh, Squatch Detective, or SquatchDetectiveRadio dot com. You'll be able to to uh, careen in through there as well. <clears throat> and we're going to be premiering. Uh, it looks like March fourth, uh, Sunday, March fourth. So, um, very excited yeah, to have it. Great. I believe our I believe our first guest is going to be. We're going to bring back an oldie but goodie just for nostalgia's sake. And we're going to bring on Sean Forker from Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania researcher. And um, uh, really, it's kind of amazing because um, I I was the first Bigfoot show ever to come to Blog Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. And that was back yep, in September, yep, September of 2006. And uh, I have a three-digit Blog Talk Radio show host number. And I remember maybe five or six years later, I had to call in tech support, and I gave him my number. I said, no, you're, you you have to have a, a six-digit number. Okay, zero, 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 <laughs> and, and the three-digit number. And I'm like, oh, wow, it worked. <laughs> I'm like, yep, been around. Um, you know, and, and do I have some misgivings about, about blog talk? And we, we've had this conversation on the radio show too and this kind of gets off the Bigfoot topic but you know I was here when Blog Talk was in, in its infancy and it definitely was a partnership when it first started but that had quick, quickly changed over the years to you know a, the profit driven machine it is today but it still is one of the most stable platforms and the most reliable platforms and the, uh, actually the most versatile platforms I've seen on the internet when it comes to podcasting. So, so be it. Well, you actually and you were one, were of, the one of the first guests on Monster X Radio, right? I may have been, yes. Mhm. I believe that's what I what I heard. Mhm. I, I yeah. 
So yeah, I've uh, it, it's been a it's been a real fun ride, and I've got to talk to a lot. And we were we were talking about that earlier in the week, uh, Joel. We were you know we uh, I remember I I've had besides Eric Beckford, I've had uh, names that have gone gone in the past. I had Dr. Henry Farron back on the show, and uh, you know I don't know if a lot of people remember uh, Henry Farron back. He did the big statistical study on Sasquatch tracks and times and and sizes of sightings and uh, you know and the statistical study if it was true would show a bell curve versus if it was not a true uh, legitimate population it would be all over the map and it turned out that all the studies in different areas were all bell curves indicating that it actually meant that it was a, a real honest to to goodness phenomenon, and it was actually an existing creature, which was really a unique way of, of taking it. He took it on from a statistical standpoint. And I had, of course, John Green on, uh, phenomenal. That was back in, I think, early 2007. Uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal guest, and uh, he, he will be missed. So, uh, and, and of course, I've had some other uh, researchers over the years that have since passed on. I remember Shane McMahon, he was from um, Wisconsin. Uh, Steve Indy Pickett, Ohio, Indiana, um, you know, Hawk Spearman, uh, Alabama, Ohio, uh, and just so many. Uh, Dan Gordon, who was the police, uh, the second police officer in Whitehall that was featured on the Monster Quest I was on, where he had actually seen it cross the road in front of him while he was on duty um, in Whitehall. He actually got out of his car and was going to try to chase it down and realized, what the hell was he doing, and went back to his car. Um, you know, just so many, so many uh, great guests over the years. Uh, of course, you know, Mitch Waite from Arizona, he's gone. Uh, Phil Spencer from Kentucky, he's gone. And of course, uh, you know, the latest and, and really saddest, I mean, yes, we lost Dr. John Bindernagel. He wasn't a guest on my show yet, but he was on my Monster Quest. But I'm really, I, I was really very sad about J.C. Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, JC will be missed. He probably was the most frequent guest I've had on our, our radio show because he brought such a variety of different phenomena to the table. So JC will be missed. And man, he had a million dollar voice for radio. Yes. He did bring a whole lot to the table every time. And, you know, may not have agreed with him on every single particular thing, but, um, um, but but JC was a gentleman, and we you know, and this is something that a lot of it, um, a lot of it uh, is that people seem like they can't uh, disagree without being uncivil. And in other words, there is a way to be to disagree but be civil about things. Exactly. Yeah, I talk about you know, that. And, so I have friends of mine that have different are coming from different viewpoints. I'm friends with uh, Ron Moorhead of Sierra Sounds, mm-hmm. but Ron and I don't agree on a lot of of the nature of of sure. the mystery. But I I respect Ron's uh, approach, the, his need to pursue answers to things that his experiences. Um, exactly. That hasn't been. That doesn't mean that you know. He, and and the guy. It's interesting when you talk to some of the folks that, you know, that do have a different perspective and, and, and they're not crazy and they're not, you know, Ron is a good example of that. Tom Powell is a good example of that. The way that they approach uh, the yeah. mystery is, is from a different angle. And uh, um, like, so, like you said, we may not see eye to eye on everything, but, but got a lot of respect for those guys. They, they, uh, bring something different and uh, are interesting to have conversations with. And can, you can have an intelligent conversation and not, not agree, you know, that's, yeah. and, yeah, that, exactly. and that's okay. Yeah. I think we need to, we need more of that in Bigfooting and we need more of that outside of Bigfooting. Uh, mm. But, but that's another show. Yeah. So, so Steve, what, uh, what are uh, your plans with your website? I know that it let's, let's share that with folks and, and what can they expect to see you there? Well, the website, as always, tr- you know, trugs on. Uh, I don't write a heck of a lot of web pages anymore, 
um, because it just it's just so time consuming. But usually the, the the I will write some major like if there is a piece of evidence that comes out, uh, such as uh, you know like the Vermont Trail Cam picture or the the New York baby footage, you will you will definitely see a a uh, a web page dedicated to that particular piece of uh, of phenomena. But for your daily news articles and stuff, uh, usually what I'll do is I'll post the the heading. And usually I keep four four different articles posted on my website. Um, I, I will keep those posted, um, and it'll be, it'll be links to the blog. That's generally where I write a lot of articles now is my blog. It's just a lot easier. Um, and, and it's really easy just to, to put up the headline rather than try to design a whole page on, on an article. And that will rotate, you know, very constantly. You'll see eventually the old articles will fall off. Um, also in the middle of that, you'll start seeing my, you know, where I'm going to be at. Um, cause I, I do quite a number of events a year now that's changed, you know, in the last couple of years where I haven't been doing my radio show, I have been doing a lot of personal appearances. Um, I, I already have like four or five slated for this year. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll be returning back again to the Chautauqua Lake, uh, Bigfoot Expo out in, uh, uh, DeWittville, New York, which is way out on the western side of New York. I'll be doing that in October. In September, I'll be going to Lexington, Kentucky to uh, Scarefest, which uh, I'm part of the Scarefest family now. been there. This will be my fourth wow. year going to, going to Scarefest, and uh, we just have a great time. I've met some great folks down there, people like Josh Gates, Ben Hansen from Factor Fake, and uh, I, I had the real honor of having a real long talk with Ben Hansen because I went, you know, we ended up just shooting the bull about stuff. And uh, being the VIPs, uh, I get to go to the, the party they have the night before. It really kicks off, and I get to chit chat with a lot of different folks from a lot of different areas. And uh, not only in the, the cryptid side, but the paranormal. Um, and uh, very, very interesting stuff. And it's a lot of fun, and it's great meeting people. It's great hearing some of the stories. My goodness, I you know I, I've I've gotten stories from people from Tennessee to Kentucky, and you know last year I had a woman come up to me and she said she's from Tennessee and she remembers her uncle telling a story back in the 40s when they had a sighting of one, and uh, you know so some of these these uh, that's what I really enjoy about going to these things is just meeting the people and hearing the stories and and you know at the same time giving them some education and you know having them open their eyes that sometimes with the the blamestream media likes to do to the Bigfoot mystery. And, you know, uh, you know, it's funny not to get political, but we hear about fake news all the time. Well, I've been screaming fake news for quite a bunch, bunch of years because of what um, AOL slash ABC did to the Patterson Gimlin story, uh, mixing it up with the Ray Wallace story and putting that out as real and then refusing to retract that when I showed him the evidence. And uh, to me, that's just, you know, that's just the way they operate. They'll, they'll run with the story. They'll run it with as quickly as possible. I just blogged the other day about a, uh, the Alberta, Canada Bigfoot, which but the funny thing was is that I looked at it. I go, I've seen this before. And they're, they're trying to claim that this was filmed on January 5th, 2018. And if you follow the links that they actually gave you, it actually will take you back to the original film, which was uh, back in 2014. So it had nothing to do with this year. It's just recirculated, and it was a crop version of the the original film, which, and it was, you know, the sound was taken out. So it was a very watered-down version, and it could lead you to believe that it was very real without leading you to question, is it real? And uh, because some of the language in the, the, the original video some people have argued that it seems a little bit staged and the little girl saying that's not human just didn't sound quite right. That doesn't sound like something a little girl would say. Um, so, you know, take it for what it's worth. It, it just shows, you know, and I talk about the great Sean, uh, the Sean Bannon uh, creature of the giant sequoias video or pictures that keep resurfacing year after year. And I talk about new folks, how if they don't really do their research, they oh, look at this. And then they want to do this big breakdown. 
And I remember actually seeing a video saying, wow, the giant Sequoia video featured giant may actually be the most, the, the most realistic, uh, the most, the best picture since the Patterson Gimlin film. And, uh, the funny thing was, is, you know, two months later, the Dan put on a, uh, on a Zimeo page saying that, Hey, this isn't real. So, you know, it's stuff like that that gets recycled. It's very frustrating to us old timers. Um, you know, well, we know what that is. Well, what do you mean? And then we get argued with. <laughs> so he right. just kind of shrug it off. I totally look forward to when you have a new blog out. I, it's like a breath of fresh air, you know. And I definitely appreciate you for doing that. <laughs> and, and and you know what? It's it's very interesting because to me, um, I've always tried to put my best foot forward for the community's sake. You know, for to, to make us, you know, I get on television, I'm doing my best to not make us sound like a bunch of crackpots. I'm doing my best, you know, when I do a newspaper article or somebody asks me for comment, that I'm doing my best to represent. Um, because I, I don't want to really give the community a bad name. I don't want to misrepresent them. But the fact is there are a bunch of people that, that really should avoid being on on the on media sometimes because what they're putting forth is not real stuff. Um, they're doing things in very unscientific manners, though they claim to be scientists and that person shall remain nameless. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's been a very, very interesting, you know, the last 10 years, I gotta say, I mean, what has disappointed us? The, the, the Ketchum, uh, the Ketchum report, the Erickson project, the, you know, what, what else is going to, you know, that we had so much high hopes and regards mm-hmm. and, and esteem for that uh, when it came to the finish line, it, it fell flat on its face and didn't even cross the finish. And right. I know there's and a gentleman out there from California that will argue with me. What do you mean it didn't finish? Well, I always say, you know, when, when this project started, when, when the Ketchum project started, it was meant to prove to the scientific community that Sasquatch existed. And it was them who lowered the bar to make them say they were successful. So, to me, they they didn't finish. <laughs> they didn't even come close. But Well, what I get out of a lot of that is it's kind of like the, the boy that cried wolf. You know, every time people come out and we're like, oh, we, we've got this, we've got the proof, we've got the evidence. And then it just kind of fizzles out, and then the next person that comes along that maybe has something, they're going to have to really, you know, struggle to get any kind of legitimate attention on that. Well, I I dare say this, that if somebody comes forth with something real, it will make a difference, no matter what the predecessors were. Because if somebody comes out with something that is real, that is substantial – that may tip the scale. It's going to make all the other stuff that's been in the past look exactly like that. It's just junk. Look mm-hmm. at this. And I think that will, you know, it's not going to get brushed off. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me, if I ever came across a Bigfoot body or whatever, what would you do? First place I'd go is right to the news station with it. There you go. Boom. Put it right on its front porch. <laughs> There you go. Say it's not real now. No government's going to get it. Nothing. Here it is. Take a picture. Poke it, plot it, bring in a doctor. I don't care. Do what you need to do with it. Yes, you know, and that, that's, I think that's, that's the way it, definitely what it can take is to have a specimen. I, yeah. I don't no disagree with that. But, you know, I, I've always been a strong proponent of a technology-based DNA track. And uh, in that DNA... You have to have photographic evidence of some sort, videographic evidence, audio evidence of that sample being collected. You know, if you have something that it takes a bite out of and you have a saliva sample on it, you've got to have that on film. You've got to have the audio of that. You've got to have the whole, the whole gambit of that. And then you've got to have the actual DNA swab correctly done forensically and then shipped off properly. And without that... You know that may tip the scale, and that's what you're, the reason for that is because we have no type specimen. Best case scenario, you send in, in in good DNA evidence, you come back with with unknown, you know, species. Correct. Right. Correct. 
Exactly, and that's why you need to marry marry the technology into it. Now, there's people out there, and I think uh, William Zanginis had it really best. And, uh, you know, Godspeed to him. I know he's having a little rough go of it right now, and my prayers are with him. Um, But uh, he had a a thought that, no, it's not that Sasquatch can see the infrared on the – on the actual machines, because if you think about it, a trail camera only shoots off infrared when it's activated. You know, a photo, a photoelectric eye does not shoot off IR beam. <laughs> so uh, it only shoots infrared when it flashes. So uh, the folks that think that, you know, well, the reason why trail cameras don't work is because a Sasquatch can see infrared. That doesn't make any sense mm. to me because they don't shoot off 24 seven infrared. They only shoot it off when the camera activates. So, but Bill Dranginis thinks that they may have a little electronic wine to them uh, that may alert, they may have super sensitive hearing, which I'm a firm believer in too. I think that of all the Sasquatch's senses, you know, yes, they have, I believe they have a tapetum, which gives them the ability to see at night. In fact, 12 species of primates have tapetum. So it's not unheard of that a primate has a tapetum, uh, you know, a primate has, could have a tapetum. It's not unheard of. So I believe they have excellent night vision, but I really think their lack of earlobes gives them sort of the, that omnidirectional hearing. Because if you think about it, when you talk, when we talk to one another, our earlobes are designed to focus our hearing where we look. That's why it's easier to listen to somebody when we look at them. Um, it's because that's the way our ears are, are funneled for, is uh, you know their directional hearing. So we hear things behind us, but they're not as crisp as they are in front of us. So I, I think that the lack of earlobes gives them kind of an omnidirectional type of hearing, almost like a parabolic type of ear. Um, and I think that's really their strong sense when they're out there. They hear somebody mousing around in the woods. They know because they can hear it. Um, primates, you know, I, I hear people talk about, oh, well, you want to keep downwind and unscented and all that stuff. Well, primates... Although a Sasquatch may have an acute sense of smell because it's used to the smells of its area and may sense, you know, something that's in the air that's not foreign, uh, it's not going to have a great sense of smell like a bear, per se, or a dog because they don't have the long snouts. They have a very short, flat nose, which would indicate that they have, you know, less uh, um, uh, nose sensors. Uh, basically, the little, the little nerve endings that that activate the the uh, the, the nerve sense. So uh, that would go contradict that. You know, a Sasquatch is not going to smell you a mile away. And if you think about it, a lot of Bigfoot sighting reports, especially in the forest, are actually by accident. Like one's crossing, and the Bigfoot looks just as startled as we do. Um, and that that's for a good reason. They don't have a great sense of smell. And you know, they they are probably typical to a lot of us too, where their eyesight may go after a while, their hearing may go after a while. So that, that could also uh, increase the chance of a, a, an accidental, you know, uh, encounter like that. So, uh, you know, those are just some of my thoughts off the top of my head. Um, the other thought, the only other thought I have is about infrasound. And, um, you know, it's, it's a fact that the largest mammals of each species are each, um, family have the ability to use uh, infrasound. The biggest cats, lions and tigers, can use infrasound. The elephants, uh, and don't ask me, I'm not that scientific at times, but they have a family uh, of of different animals that belong to their elephants use infrasound. The blue whale uses infrasound, and that's the biggest of the whales. So if you think about it, the thought of having the biggest primate having the ability, and obviously a Sasquatch would be the biggest of the primates, the thought of a Sasquatch having the ability to have infrasound, when, it, when you look at all these other mammals, which a Sasquatch would have to be, uh, if it's a primate, uh, it does not sound that far off. It's not science fiction. Uh, for them to bioluminesce where they can project light out of their eyes, uh, only invertebrates can do that and some fish. So that is kind of out of the realm because no mammal can do that. Not only no primate can do that, but no mammal can do that. 
So I always try to keep it within a couple of steps. When you start going three steps, four steps out, now you're into the science fiction realm. You're you're asking right. a mammal to do something an invertebrate or a fish or something else can do, um, or a reptile can do. You know, you know, you're not going to get that. So, um, well, I, these I things think those are very good make, points, and uh, I would love to have you back on the show just to discuss some of that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're we're just about out of time here for today, but yeah, I would really love to have you come back on. And um, if you don't mind, before we close, can you go ahead and tell people again where to find you on the web and where to find you on Blog Talk? Absolutely. Okay, so the website is going to be SquatchDetective.com. Not not Sasquatch. SquatchDetective.com. We take the sass out of the Sasquatch. Um, and <laughs> And uh, we have SquatchDetectiveRadio.com or uh, BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash SquatchDetective, and that's where you can find the radio shows. So I I want to thank you guys for for having me on. We will definitely be tuning in, and we encourage everybody out there to, you know, tune in because Steve and Chris have a lot of great insight and a lot of great things to offer. And I really appreciate you coming on to the show tonight, Steve. Okay. Thanks for having me on, guys. Have a great night. Okay, great. We'll talk again soon. As as you folks know, we're we are Bigfoot without the BS, and and Steve fits right in with that. Right. Uh, again, go go check out Squatch Detective. Um, he's gonna bring uh, bringing the taking the sass out of Sasquatch. I like that. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, some big news coming from Monster X. We are starting uh, a membership program called Exclusive. Um, it will include uh, a bunch of new content, some new formatted shows, including uh, Bigfoot biometrics, field reports. Um, we're going to have uh, eyewitness encounters, lots of those, and Sasquatch Island. So you'll want to uh, mark your calendar for March 7th. We're going to have a big uh, two-hour show. That's actually a Wednesday, different day, but uh, a live show. You can call in and ask us questions, and we'll be introducing um, the different formats. And and this show is not going away. Monster X on Sundays will be the same, still provided at no cost. The uh, um, exclusive will be... There will be a small fee, monthly fee for it, but uh, I hope that it, we, our plan is to provide the best Bigfoot content out there, including guests like Mr. Steve Coles, the Sasquatch, or excuse me, the Squatch Detective, because he takes the sass out <laughs> of Sasquatch. Julie, great job. Uh, for those who didn't know, Julie, it, this was Julie's first show uh, being the host. Um, yes, and she it was. did a great job. So let's have, Thank you. Uh, if I had a little uh, applause. Uh, <laughs> audio. I I play it for you. So, but you did great. Thank you. Well, I so was pretty everybody... nervous, but after, <laughs> and I was glad that it was Steve because, you know, right? It just kind of flowed yes. right in there. So, yeah, Steve's a great guest for your first yeah, first uh, att- flying with the controls because he he's well versed and and knows the subject very well. And like he said he's he's an old now an old timer. So, uh, again, I. I want to thank uh, Julie for hosting today and having, uh, for having Steve Coles, the Squatch Detective, join us today. Um, until next week, this will be uh, we'll be back with another new show. Excuse me, and uh, thank you everybody for joining us. Until then, have a great week and uh, squatch on. Have a great week, everyone.